Hello and welcome to The Luxury of Choice, a business-to-business sales and business podcast brought to you by the training team of George James Limited. My name is Steve Vaughan. I'm a senior sales trainer for George James Limited and I'm the host and producer of the show. If you listened to our last show, you will have heard me and my colleagues Jonathan Cooper and Prue Layton discussing future plans for the show. So I'm delighted, therefore, to announce that we are now going to be making two podcasts per month. As well as a monthly show where Jonathan Prue and I discuss all aspects of sales skills and knowledge, we now have an additional mid-month show called The Luxury of Choice Interviews. Each month I will chat with a special guest who has specific skills or knowledge that we assure that you, the listener, will find of interest and value. Over the coming weeks, we will have guest interviews with a range of people from the world of purchasing, life science marketing, mental health and wellness, sales marketing and leadership, amongst others. In today's interview, we're going to be discussing all things channel partner related, and I'm delighted to welcome Shannon Eaton onto the show. Sharon is the owner and managing director of BioChannel Partners Limited. BioChannel Partners Limited, established in 2003, is an international business-to-business partnering and training company for suppliers of laboratory products. Sharon herself has worked in a variety of companies in the life science industry since 1987 and has extensive experience in R&D, sales, marketing and distribution. She was an international channel manager in Europe, Eastern Europe, the Commonwealth of Independent States and the Middle East. She founded BioChannel Partners 20 years ago now to help busy distribution managers find candidates to introduce and manage sales of their products in new and international markets. Sharon, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, Steve. Great to have you here. Now, you and I know each other well, of course, because we regularly work together on training courses. Did I, did I cover you properly on that little bit of a scripted intro? Did I miss anything out? That is, no, that was good. That was fine. Uh, we, could, we could talk, um, I've been around a bit, so we could talk all day about that. <laughs> that was enough. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Yeah, yeah. So really today, what I'd like the listener to, to find out is a bit more about obviously yourself uh, and, and your company, but also go down the world of channel partner management or distributor management. So I think we're going to use channel partner management as a universal catch-all for, for that really today. Okay. And there are many people that listen to this show, I'm sure, who work with distribution partners, channel partners. There'll be people who are thinking of working with distribution partners, people who don't have a clue whether they need to use them or not, really. Um, so I guess from a first sort of point of view, my first kind of question would be really, why would a business in our industry, so life science, scientific instruments, laboratory equipment, why would a business need to use or work with third-party distribution partners? In our industry, because the products are so niche and also because the industry moves very quickly, new product introductions all of the time, and it's a global industry. So in a normal um, uh, local industry, it's okay to just sell locally. But in our industry, because things move so fast, you need to hit the ground running as fast as you possibly can because there's going to be competitors coming up on your heels. Plus, you need to start making um, money as soon as you can. Um, the number of customers are limited compared to consumer products. So you, you need to find partners who have already got relationships with your key customers in export markets who can, as I say, hit the, hit the ground running if you're going to be successful. Okay, so several points there. Really. So if I'm thinking of launching a new product, I haven't got the time to set up my own sales team or set up an office somewhere, I can work with somebody who's already up and running. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is, that, is that one of the things you were saying? Yeah, also, it, it isn't financially viable to set up, in, in most cases, to set up an office in another country. 
right right away. Um, and channel partners are a really good way because they understand the customers and they've already got relationships with the customers. They can walk, they've got a portfolio, hopefully, of complementary products that they're speaking to their customers already about, and they can just quickly introduce your 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 company. And it's um it's a less ex- although you have to pay the the channel partners commission, it's a much less expensive way to setting up an office and getting um salespeople with car it t- and it take that takes a long time to to do and it's really expensive so it's a it's a much faster way and a less expensive way and a more effective way of of getting into new markets quickly and i guess in, in you know the world's a, a much smaller place than it was perhaps 20 years ago but it still has a lot of variety in terms of culture and language and ways of doing business and size of markets i suppose all of those things would be considerations as well well absolutely because if you're a person in a in a lab you would rather deal with someone um who speaks your language you know they they in our in our industry they're all pretty good at english but it's just a little bit more comfortable to speak in local language so it makes sense to use people who understand the language and the culture and the way of working and on top of that they've already got relationships with those customers yeah that's a really important point we talk a lot on this show about prospecting and finding customers but i guess if you've got a partner in the territory that's already got that customer base that's another step you don't have to take isn't mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. So what would be the key consideration? So let's just imagine that you and I were starting, or we had a company (laughs) selling lab equipment or or life science reagents or or, or whatever, really. And we want to start working with channel partners. What are the things we would need to think about? The first thing I would think about is your customers. What are your customers doing in the lab at the same time that they're using your products? What other kind of what what other kind of products are they using that would be complementary to yours? And think about products that are sold in a similar kind of way. So if you've got a big high end instrument, you wouldn't go for a distributor who's just familiar with selling um, consumables, for example, because that's a different selling a different way of selling. So I'd I'd start off with considering your your end users and picture what it's like in their lab and who might be coming to visit them and what kind of things that they should have in their portfolio that would indicate to you that they they would be able to sell your product as well. And then put the, the next thing I would do is put together a profile of what your ideal channel partner would look like in terms of product portfolio compatibility, and then start searching for distributors of, the, of that ilk who, who look as if they, they would um, be able to sell your product. Of course, finding the candidate distributors is the first thing. There's much okay. more work to do to, to qualify sure. them and, and work sure, out whether... We'll come on to that, I'm yeah. sure. So... Finding a company that that has complementary products to yours, then in that case. So if I'm, I don't know if I'm going to sell HBLC columns, a company that sells instruments, perhaps, or already sells columns of another manufacturer, perhaps, or something like that. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly, exactly. Just just think about your customer, what they're doing, what kind of things that they're doing upstream and downstream of when they're using your product, and and put a profile together of the the first thing is to put together the profile of the um product portfolio of your channel partner and then after you find those guys you can dig a wee bit deeper okay and you used a phrase a minute ago the ideal channel partner which i'd like to explore a bit more with you because i guess there's no such thing oh well there's (laughs) no no there's not (laughs) um but what kind of things i mean obviously we've mentioned product mix in terms of an ideal channel partner but what other things might uh, a manufacturer looking to use distributor, what other things might they think about in terms of an ideal channel partner? 
A lot of people come up straight away with, I want someone who is enthusiastic and keen to sell um, our products and they, they communicate with us quite well. But my, I would say that that is important, but there's other things that are more important because sometimes the person who is responsible for getting in new product lines into the, the company is different from the person who's going to manage them. So that initial enthusiasm might be you know, you've got, you, you've, yeah, you've just got to dig a wee bit deeper than that. And the other thing is they enthusiasm, enthusiasm wise, they might not answer you straight away because they're busy doing a good job for other people. <laughs> so if they're busy doing a, and, and, and they don't really absolutely need another product in their portfolio, but it's these guys who are working hard for other people that you might want to put a bit of effort into persuading to come and work with you. So you know, try a bit harder to get uh, an answer from them. And don't assume that they're not enthusiastic because they don't answer your first email. Don't make that assumption because uh, a few times I've, um, I'm a wee bit more, I'm, I'm quite persistent. So I, f- I try to find out why they're not interested when I can see product portfolio wise, they should be interested. And when I dig a little bit deeper, sometimes the answer is, well, we've just taken on another couple of lines and we wouldn't be able to do another job for three or four months. That indicates to me that that would be a really good distributor because they're taking it seriously. It's the distributors who say, yes, 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 I'll take on your product line without obviously giving it um, a great deal of thought. Might not be the best partner for you unless, uh, until you dig a wee bit deeper and work out. That's that, really interesting. So it's like an early warning sign almost, really. Yeah, yeah, it could be that it's just a perfect fit and they're they're just jumping at it. So I wouldn't say it's not always the case. But sometimes there's a lot of distributors out there that will just say yes to everything and then just see what happens without putting any effort into it. So initial enthusiasm is, it's nice. It's nice to, it's nice, but be wary. <laughs> That's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that actually. Uh, so it's a, that's that's your experience coming through there in that in that uh, comment, Sharon. So, and I guess when you're looking at a, a you know this hypothetical ideal channel partner, I guess things like their financial stability and uh, uh, their structure as an organisation, those things would be things to think about as well, would they? Well, ab- absolutely. They're they're. That's de- that's definitely one of the things on the check the, the, the checklist the financial stability. But it, I, I think of um, finding um, channel partners as as a, as a as a funnel. You start off with a broad list of of companies that that could be suitable, and then you dig down to the product portfolio level. Then you can look at the enthusiasm. Another thing to look at before even getting to the are they financially stable is have a look at the number of products they have in their portfolio compared to the number of salespeople that they've got and verify that they have got salespeople. Have a look at the the quality of those salespeople, how long they've been with the company. And that is a better indication that they would be able to um, sell and promote and manage your your product line than their financial stability. It, it, it's I would do that first. So dig deeper about because you want to make sure that you've got coverage. You know, have they got enough people to cover the whole of their market with all of the product lines that they've got? And and really, really good point. And that's yeah. a kind of a. It's not an exact science, but you can get a really good feel by looking at what, you know, the products that they represent and the number of salespeople that they've got. Sure, and and, sure. and I would even ask, where are their salespeople geographically lo- located in, in the country? Are they field sales or do they just have internal salespeople? Do they just do marketing? 
because if your product needs to do as it's technical and needs visits and demos and and technical selling then you need to know have they got salespeople who can do that you know so ask those kinds of questions first let's send we know we've got this hypothetical ideal channel partner (laughs) the next step i guess is to go out and find them really now i guess when you started your business 20 years ago perhaps the internet wasn't quite as evolved as it is now we have wonderful tools such as Google and stuff that will help us find names. But surely it's, it's a bit more involved than that. So so in terms of finding potential channel partners, what's a, you know, what are your thoughts there in terms of a good process to follow? Well, again, I would start with the customer, the end customer. Put together a list of the kinds of products that they would be using at the same time, upstream, downstream then find the manufacturers of those products, then find the distributor that they're using in in that country, in in that target country. And then when you've got your master list of of, of channel partners, then dig a a little bit um, deeper with those. But I'd start off with product portfolio compatibility. Um, Now, we've already gathered all this information together, so it's a bit of a shortcut. We've got a database of distributors who have been um, categorized by product type application, that kind of thing. You can do it yourself, but honestly, it takes a really long time. If you don't want, you'll find some straight away um, quite quite easily. But if you don't want the best partner for you to have fallen through the net and not be considered when you're going through your process, I would I would make put quite a bit of effort into making sure that you're considering um, everybody that could be a, a possibility. Right. So your business, if I got this right, so if I was a manufacturer looking for a channel partner, you have a database, a list of channel partners in most, if not all, the main territories around the world in that case. Yeah. And you'd, you'd be quite shocked about how many there are. <laughs> give, me a, give me an indication. <laughs> um, well, I've got, uh, I think I've got something like 13 or 14,000 channel partners. Wow. In, in, wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah and I, it, we had a, I had a, um, was a uh, a girl who was on our our um, training course actually, who uh, who said I, I'm looking for a distributor in, um, I think it was Slovakia or something like that, and uh, and she said I find nine, I find nine distributors, and she went onto Gosh. my database and there was it was actually fifty six. So, wow. So she it was wow. or something you know something something yeah, like sure, that, sure. but there's there's yeah. I was talking to um. Uh, a customer yesterday who sort of subscribed to the database to look at um, distributors. And he said, there's, there's so many, how am I going to, you know, there's just so many channel partners, but that's, that's what you have to do. He put a really big list together of lots of countries and he found 2000. He said, I don't have time to go through all of these 2000. So you'd have no time if you were, you know, the owner of the company or the sales director, where you wouldn't have the time to, to find all those companies. And I guess that's where your service comes in. But doesn't that create another problem though, if there are almost too many to go for? You know, what, how, what, how do we go through some kind of process of whittling those down to a shortlist? How does that work? Well, it depends on how important it is to you to find the best possible channel partner. Uh, sure, true. Um, and for speed, a lot of people would go to a trade show. Somebody comes up to them and say, I want to be your distributor in Taiwan or whatever. And they say, okay, we need a distributor there. Sign here without doing any evaluation at all. No, and it's, it's so tempting. It's so tempting. Or a channel partner would call you and say, I've got um, an order for your product in our country. And then you sign them up as a channel partner without doing any more evaluation. And sometimes that really works out and it's brilliant. But 
sometimes it's that one order and then you never hear from them again and you've signed an agreement with them and you've missed out on another brilliant distributor who's who could be doing lots of good stuff for you. So it's it's tempting and you have to be pragmatic. But for the countries, what, what I would say is work out your biggest gap between sales and potential sales geographically, even by product type or um, end user type, but work out what your biggest gaps are and work on maybe the top three gaps first, uh, but make sure that you do that properly. If they're important markets for you, do it properly and evaluate all the alternative um, channel partners to make sure that you've got the, the, the right one. You might be able to... So you're almost, sorry. Sorry, Sharon. I'm saying, you're almost saying in terms of, because you know, I've I, in my career, I've managed channel partners, but obviously I've also managed direct sales teams as well. You're almost saying you approach it in the same way as when you're hiring a, a new salesperson almost in terms of it, having a like a job description almost and a, and a candidate it's list. It's very, yeah. very similar. You know, oh, okay. it's it's a very right. similar process. You you put down the, the uh, 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 you have a job spec or you have a deal channel partner profile and then you you proactively find the right person. So the, the, the right person or the right company to fit that to fit that role you, you, you know and you don't sit there and wait for them to come to you be proactive about it right right okay so let's now move forward in the process we've now got you know our short list of channel partners and we've gone through some kind of selection process and we've decided on the candidate that the company we're going to work with this channel partner they want to work with us uh great <laughs> what happens next what are the next things that we need to think about in terms of getting that relationship to work? I, I have a proper onboarding process. So before you even start looking for channel partners, have all the documentation that they might need, have all the um, um, systems and processes and have a proper onboarding process. Um, to too many times I find that a channel partner manager um, would find a new distributor. They've gone to a lot of effort to finding this distributor. They take them, they take them on, they sign the contract, they send them out a few leaflets or, um, you know, get, might give them a wee bit of training and then just sit back and see what happens in, after a year. And they don't re the, it, in the, at the at the very very beginning of a of a um a relationship, it needs to be nurtured, and you need to get them into uh into good habits, into behaving in the way that you want them to behave. I know it sounds a little bit like bringing up children, but it's <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, it's really if you want a monthly report, put that in the agreement and say, I need to have a monthly report with um, sales funnel activity, that kind of stuff. If you need to know who their customers are, put that into the agreement because, you know, often they're not open to sharing their customers with you because they have a little bit of fear that you're going to go direct. That's always the way. But have it, have a, an, a, an agreement which has got real clarity about what your expectations are, what their expectations are. And do an awful lot of hand holding at the beginning to get them into good habits and to get them into to get them excited um, about about selling your product and just help them out. Maybe the first hundred days or so have that program, but then after that, don't leave them hanging. Communicate with them maybe once a month, something like that, a bit more frequently if it's a very important channel partner. So I guess it's like again, like if you hire a direct employee, you wouldn't just hire a salesperson and then say. Here's the keys to your car. Here's your laptop. Off, Off you go. go. We'll see you in a year's exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully not. Anyway. Exactly. 
So it's a proper onboarding process. It's being close to them. It's having a regular communication in place, so almost setting setting the ways of working or the expectations from the get go. Really. From the get go, and it is it is important to get them into good habits right at the right at the very beginning because there might you know they're gonna they're gonna fall over the first few customer visits that they that they have because they're not hundred percent au fait with everything, and that might put them off. But if they feel comfortable coming to you and discussing what went right and what went wrong, then you can coach them and they'll get better and better. Otherwise, they just might give up if they come across a hurdle. But you need to know what's going on. So you have to keep in in touch with them in the beginning. And you referenced something there a moment ago, uh, which perhaps we should look at as well. And that was an agreement or a contract or a a way of working that's written down. And I know from personal experience that all too often, Companies don't have that in place with their distribution partners. It's, it's very much like a, a gentleman's agreement, whatever that yeah. means. Uh, so yeah. what are the things people need to think about there, do you think, Sharon? That is a, that's really important and it's often often overlooked. So for, for your own protection, it's better to have... Well, for, it's, it's, a mutually, it's mutually beneficial for both parties to have a, an agreement. And it's, um, if you don't have an agreement and there is a dispute then it's automatically going to be um, deferred to their local laws. And any any dispute will happen in their country, in their courts, under their laws. So it's it's better to have a contract that stipulates that, that if there is anything that might go wrong, that it's in your country. So that's one thing, it just protects you. The other thing is if you if you know what our industry is like, there's companies taking over other companies all the time. So have a little caveat in there about if we get if we merge with another company or you merge with another company, what's going to happen? So it's about I'd, I'd I'd say it's it's better to manage the expectations right from the beginning, anticipate what might go wrong, what might go right, and and put it in the agreement. This is what happens. This is under these circumstances. This is what's going to happen because there are things that are going to happen. They're going to get you know a distributor from another country or in that country taking a, a, an order you know from their customer all these sorts of things so anticipate what might go ha- might happen and put that into the into the contract it just saves you a lot of hassle later on and it protects you and it protects them so it's much much better to have an agreement and if you don't have an agreement written down there is a default agreement already there that you might not even have read so you're better to have right. control over that and from from my experience so many channel partner managers have not actually read the contract of the, <laughs> of the relationship they have in place unfortunately because it may have been set up 15 years ago yeah and some people just say well i don't want to sign a contract with this distributor i'm gonna try them out for a year and see how it goes you have an agreement with them it's just that you don't know what it is you might as well put your own agreement in place but have uh, get out clauses in there if you know you know you have get out clauses in there yeah really good point i want to come back to what we do if things don't go right in a little while if i can Sharon. but just listen look at the more of the upside okay. thing so we've got this <laughs> we've got this um you know, new channel partner in place we've gone through a proper onboarding process uh, everything's working what what are your thoughts or what are your recommendations to now in terms of keeping that relationship because you know, it's all shiny and new for perhaps for 90 days or so, but then we all move on. Our focus perhaps is elsewhere somewhere for a while. Their focus might be elsewhere. What are your thoughts in terms of keeping the momentum and keeping the relationship working well 
in the months and even the years ahead, really. Uh, have a have a plan to touch base with them and decide how frequently that's going to be and what the meeting is going to contain. So, and 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 you you don't if you want your distributors to be to communicate with you, then you need and to do what you want them to do, then you have to do what you say that you're going to do as well. So have a plan and uh, and stick to it because you want to give them a good example. You're a professional company. You say you're going to have a meeting on that day. You're going to have a meeting on that day. You're going to discuss these the, these things. So um, keep the commu- I think communication is really important. Even if things are going really well, still catch up with them and say, how are things going? Is there anything else that we can do to help? If you've got any issues that we can, you know, we can help you to resolve. Because they, you know, even the companies that seem to be doing really well could be doing even better. And that might be a better way to spend your time to make a really good distributor better than to beat your head against a wall with a tiny little distributor that's not doing very much. That's a really good point. So in terms of focus and prioritization, classification of partners, there's some thoughts there as well from what you're saying, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know one of the things I used to do when I when I managed distribution partners, um, for the partners that were happy for me to do so, and not not all are, but the partners that were happy for me to do so is I used to spend a lot of time in the field with them, working with them, traveling with them, seeing customers with them. So what are your thoughts about how important that is? That I yeah. Going out and visiting um, um, customers with channel partner um, sales reps is a is a real eye opener because um, you can have these informal conversations with the salespeople about how things are going. It might give you some clues about how how to better support that channel that channel partner in 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 general. You might realise that they need a little bit more training. You might need that realise that they need a little bit coaching on the sales process. <laughs> even you know they might not be so good at that and um a lot of channel partners wouldn't invest in sales training um so you can you can help them out and 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 support them by going to visit them and it's and it is an expensive thing to do so i would be careful about who you go visit and how often you go um visit their customers with them but also bear in mind from the distributor's perspective they've got they might have many, many other um, principles um, with enthusiastic channel partner managers who want to go out and visit customers with them. One distributor said to me, if I was to allow all of my principals to visit all of my, to go out on field visits with all of my salespeople, my salespeople wouldn't get anything done. So you think about it from the channel partners perspective. You can be really helpful and really supportive and coaching them and training them and helping them to close and teaching them how to close and um, deal with with technical questions. Before you plan a visit, ask yourself, am I going to add value here? Does the channel partner know that I'm going to add value? For Because you don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it. Make sure that you give them value when you go out visiting them and then they will welcome you back the next time. Fantastic advice, Sharon. So I guess the last thing just to explore really is Obviously, we want things to go really well with our channel partners. We, we've put the effort in. Inevitably, there are situations where, for whatever reason, it's not working. Sometimes it's an historical relationship or we've gone down one particular route and their business is going down a different route or, or lots of other reasons. So sometimes we do have to come to a situation where perhaps we do have to part ways, really. So 
What are your thoughts and your experiences around that if we do decide that it's time to call it a day with a particular channel partner? And that, and that can be very uncomfortable if you've had a relationship with a company for a long, long time. Um, and a lot of people put off um, splitting up with a distributor because of the personal relationship that they've had with them. But as I say, the, the communication is, is, is important. So you, if you have these regular meetings with them, then you can, you can say, right, things aren't going so well. First of all, have a, a recovery plan and let them know, right, we're going to try. Things aren't going well. You've, your product portfolio has changed. You're not visiting our customers as frequently. Our product portfolio has changed. We've got products that you can't support. Let's see if we can recover this, and if not, we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll plan about um, um, uh, separating. But try if if things look as if they should be working and they're not, then try a recovery plan, which is very similar to the onboarding plan. Um, a little bit of hand holding, identifying where the issues are, um, <clears throat> and it is expensive to try to to change a channel partner. So make sure that it's absolutely necessary before. You do that. You might be um, annoyed with them and frustrated with them. Um, I'd say rather than just firing them and find someone else, dig a little bit deeper and try and and resolve it before parting before parting ways. But as you would with an employee, is is um, tell them that they have a discussion with them that there's an issue. Come up with a joint plan together about how you're going to resolve it, and let them know if there isn't. If if it doesn't get resolved, then the next stage is is separating, and then have a plan about how you're going to separate and um, announcements to the industry and to their customers and compensation. So think about all of that. Don't just go one day right things aren't working out. You're fired. Make make an effort and give them plenty of warning and plenty of notice. I'm no lawyer, but this is it. Just seems like common sense to me. Yeah. Absolutely. And as you say, in the same way as, or at least here in Europe, you wouldn't immediately jump to, to fire somebody who's had a, a poor month. Um, you know, you have to go through a process with any of uh, any employee, you know, performance improvement, that kind of thing. It's a similar kind of process that you would go through with a partner. Don't just jump straight to, to terminating. Can they be saved? Can they be can turned they be around? Saved can they be saved? But don't bury your head in the sand if they're not working, mm. if they're not right for you. Be brave and do something about it rather than just sitting on it, worrying about it, yeah, stressing fant- about it. Fantastic point. Fantastic point. Sharon, it's been great talking to you today. In, in a little while, uh, I want us just to tell uh, the listener a little bit about the training courses that we run together. But before we do that, uh, in terms of your your business, Biochannel Partners, what's the best place for the listener to go and find out more about the services you offer there? Uh, with the website, biochannelpartners.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, well, my email address is on the website. Um, but in LinkedIn, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So you could find me and um, say a quick hello on there. And I and I can send you a bit more information. The website is, it does explain it all. But you probably will have more questions. <laughs> and that's fine. Just contact me. And I can vouch to the fact Sharon is very active on LinkedIn. And has a couple of really useful um, LinkedIn groups around channel partner management as well. So. So, so you and I jointly deliver a, a training course. We've done it now for a number of years, and you've done it previously with my colleague, Jonathan, for anybody in our industry that works with channel partners. And there are two. We, the first one we call um, managing channel partners, and the second one is inspirational channel partner leadership. So do you want to say a few things about those two different courses and 
which would be useful for which which type of person? Um, mastering channel partner management is a is a great it's a great course. It's 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 good for channel partner managers who haven't been doing it for very long, um, because it gives you systems. And it's a bit methodical. It's it's systems and processes on how to uh, focus your time on the activities that are going to give you the the best possible results. Um, but we've also had many people who are very experienced um, channel partner managers come in on the course and they go, ah, that's a really good idea. I'm going to implement that, uh, that process. I'm going to add that into my, my, um, the way that I do things. And, and, and some of the time it's that they find, well, this is great. I am doing things right. And it's very comforting to know that I'm doing things in the right way. But Absolutely. I got a refresher and I got some new tips. So the mastering is all about um, systems and processes and getting yourself organized and, um, and spending your time on the things that are going to be most effective for you. The Inspirational um, Channel Partner Leadership course is more about developing the relationship with your channel partners. And, com- and as I said, communication with your channel partners is so, so important. So it's, it's, it's about how to, how to lead them, how to influence them to do the things that you want them to do for your benefit and for their benefit. And they will thank you for it because if you're um, coaching them on how to, uh, to be a better channel partner, then that also benefits their other principles as well. So, and their, and their, and their whole business, their whole business. So it's um, two, two completely different slants. One is um, hardcore management and the other is leadership, which is a, it's a bit, it's a bit softer skills, but but they're also really, really important. Absolutely. And, and you know, from our experiences, a lot of channel partner managers around, there's not so many channel partner leaders around. So it's a really good course in terms of how do you get inside the people's heads? How do you really get that influence? How do you get that buy-in? Because you can't tell them what to do. They don't work for you. You've got to influence them. You've got to find ways of motivating and encourage them. So, so we should say those courses are starting on the 3rd of October and we do still have some places left. So if you are interested in those courses, you can find out more either on Sharon's website or also on the George James Training website, which is just georgedrames-training.com. Sharon, it's been great catching up with you again today. We'll see you uh, in the next training course in a couple of weeks' time. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Uh, Our next uh, podcast will be in a couple of weeks when I'll be back with Jonathan and Prue looking at other aspects of of sales and sales skills. And we'll have another guest here on the interview show in a month's time. In the meantime, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.